You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Good morning. Good to be with you guys. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Psalms 57 is where we're going to be. Uh, we have been kind of cruising along in this series. Uh, it's been good. I really have loved uh, jumping into God's Word. The Psalms have a tendency to, to do a couple things. One is to kind of capture uh, the human experience of life. So it shows you the frills and the thrills and the challenges, the trials, all the ups and downs. It's not a great place to go, perhaps, uh, to see a, a strong theology on uh, God, you would go to Romans maybe for that, uh, but it's a great place to see the importance of how the human heart um, goes through all sorts of challenges, uh, cries out to God, asks for his help, uh, captures the human experience, but then it also does something that's really pretty cool that we're going to learn today is about clarifying some of life's biggest questions. And so um, today what I want to do is, is share with you that over the next four weeks, we're going to answer some of life's bigger questions. And so um, next week, I'm going to be talking about, is the Christian life really, is it supposed to get better? Or the following week, why am I not as happy as I want to be? Or is there something wrong with me? And then today, we're going to look at, I think, one of the most important questions that we could ever ask in our life is, what is God's purpose for my life? Um, nothing is more important, nothing is more pressing than to be able to know what your purpose is from God's perspective about your life. I mean, the problem is today is that uh, so many people are confused about their purpose, perhaps because they're confused, I would say, about their identity. Because if you don't know about your identity, then it's really hard to know what your purpose is. I mean, in today's time, we have uh, uh, gender confusion. We have uh, a political confusion. In today's time, we have a uh, religious confusion. There's relational confusion. And so there's all this confusion going on about identity and who we are. And so therefore, if you don't know who you are, then it's hard to know what to do and what God's purpose and plan is. Additionally, what amplifies the problem is that Phoenix actually ranks as one of the uh, least biblically-minded cities in the entire country. Um, we're just barely one step ahead of uh, San Francisco. Um, so the biblical illiteracy uh, rate in, in San Francisco, we're just a little bit higher than that. So in other words, what's even happening in the church is so many Christians really don't have a grasp or a good understanding of God's Word. This is why you will see over the next 10 years, I believe, churches that are going to be growing and thriving are the ones that decide to live under the authority of Scripture, no matter what happens in our culture, no matter what happens in our world around us, because truth draws people, Amen. And truth is a, is a magnet, and it'll always be a, a, a magnet. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you, help me out, free. free. So there's freedom in that, and there's freedom in knowing truth. And so today, we're going to look at a very, very powerful truth about what it looks like uh, to have purpose. Now, before I get there, I want to illustrate a couple, give you a couple of examples about how important it is when you know your purpose about something, then you can put up with all sorts of challenges, trials, upsets, tribulations, 
if you sense that you have a greater purpose, then you can press through. Um, For example, imagine that your boss said to you, I need you to come in on Saturday. And on Saturday, I've got a stack of envelopes. Uh, I I got 10,000 of them. And I want you to sort through the contents. You get no overtime pay. It's just weekend work. How would you respond? You'd probably be incredibly resentful. You'd probably feel like it's the worst uh, weekend ever. But then imagine if your boss said to you, but guess what? I've got a $100,000 bonus check in one of those envelopes. Would that change the way you would do things? All of a sudden, you'd be ripping through those envelopes like it's a Willy Wonka bar. You're looking for the golden key, the golden wrapper, the golden ticket, trying to get to that bonus check. Uh, Purpose changes everything. It's the same tedious task, but the difference is is that you have a sense of purpose. Um, Or how about this? Imagine that you're planning a special hiking trip in the mountains of Colorado, and you've never been there before to this particular mountain, so you wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning, and you get to hiking the trail, and you get to the trailhead at 5.30 a.m., and as you start on the trail, you find out that the trail is far longer than you anticipated to the top of this mountain. And as you keep hiking, you realize that you actually had no real idea just how many miles it was to the top because somebody gave you some bad intel. And as you're hiking, you figure out, oh my goodness, I'm low on water, I'm low on food, and most of all, I'm low on energy. And then with every turn of the trail, you seem to see another hill to climb, a switchback. You seem to find that there's another false peak. And then someone says to you when you're absolutely exhausted and you think you're almost there, hey, good job. You're about halfway there. You think, oh my goodness, what do you do? You probably just say, that's it. Done. Nil. Nada. No mas. Hasta la vista, baby. We're done. I'm going home. This isn't that important. And so you pack your stuff and you leave. But imagine if you're a parent of a 16-year-old kid who's been dreaming about bagging a 14er for a very, very long time. And you start out on the trail and you realize, oh my goodness, this is far more than I thought. But then your kiddo says, come on, we got to get there. I was looking forward to taking pictures and being on the top. And you think to yourself, you know what? I'm not going to let this young whippersnapper outdo me. So now you have a little more peppy in the steppy and you get to move it. And that's exactly what happened to me. Uh, my, my father was 71 years old. My son, Sam, 16 years old. We set out on a trail. Little did I know that we would start at 5.30 a.m. We didn't get back to the truck till 6 p.m. I think we logged about 17, 18 miles that day. One day, it's not like I'm in marathon shape, you know. So one day, and then, but we did make it to the top. I'll tell you the reason why we made it to the top. Actually, let me tell you. The only reason why I made it to the top. I made it to the top because he wanted to go. There's no way I would have done that unless he wanted to do it. To me, it wasn't that important. Here's my point. When you have a purpose, you can press through to any life's challenges. You can climb any hill there is to climb. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death if you have purpose. But let me tell you something, friends. Without purpose, you can't persevere. Without purpose, you'll fail to have the right perspective. You'll miss it. Without purpose, you cannot overcome the pain. Without purpose, you'll struggle 
to make real progress. Without purpose, you actually will never really find a significant level of peace in your life. Uh, Without purpose, you just want to give up. I read an article about a New York Times executives, and they did a study on uh, these individuals, men and women, that had a very successful career for decades. And then upon their retirement, they measured what they did after their retirement. They did a study, and they found out that executives that tended to retire and then do nothing after their retirement, but just sit there and not do anything productive or purposeful, they died in two to three years. But those that retired and then did something meaningful, did anything, it could be a part of a church, it could be serving at a community center, it could be woodwork in their garage, it didn't matter. The case studies showed that if they were doing something that was meaningful and had purpose, they'd continue to live another 15 years or so. Here's my point, you need purpose. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the importance of having purpose, and we're going to look at the life of David, Psalms 57. Uh, We're going to look at him. David had a tremendous sense of purpose. He had a great deep trust in God, despite any problem, despite any setback or challenge that he faced. Uh, Let me give you the backstory on Psalms 57. Most scholars, pastors, teachers, leaders, uh, theologians agree Psalms 57 is what's called a lament psalm. It's a cry out to God uh, while he's on the run from King Saul. David's already slayed the giant. David's already got appointed, but King Saul is incredibly jealous. He's on the run, and in fact, he's on the run. Um, There's some 3,000 skilled soldiers chasing David down. David's got a small little army. It was a coup overthrow kind of thing, and he's got a small little army of 600 men to help protect him. And uh, he's outnumbered five to one. And he knows that God's got a purpose and a plan, but he's hiding out in a cave. And in this cave, he pins one of the most famous uh, pieces of literature, I think, that we will ever find in the Psalms as it relates to purpose. Understanding your purpose so that you can press through trials, tribulations, and come out, not with more problems and depression, but come out with praise and and excitement and joy. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Let's jump straight in. Basically, for David, everything's going wrong. Psalms 57, verse 1, and we'll read through it. David says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. I'll take refuge till the storm of destructions pass by. The storm of destruction is the some 3,000 skilled soldiers on the manhunt for him. Uh, He uses metaphoric uh, language right here that he's like, he needs to take shelter like a little chicken would underneath the wing of the mama bird. Here's what's really interesting to me about David. He's a very tough guy, but he's humble enough to say, I got to take shelter underneath the mighty wing of God. He, He realizes he needs refuge. Not in himself, not in his uh, some, you know, 600 soldiers. He doesn't pray for them to take refuge in them. He doesn't pray that they, the other soldiers that are looking for him just miss him. He just says, I want to take refuge in you. Uh, verse 2, he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. That is the key verse. That is the key passage I want to theme the entire message on 
for you to understand how important this is. Note this phrase. He says, I cry out to God, most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. What he does not say is, my purpose for me. David is in humble submission to a sovereign, mighty God who says, your purpose for me. Let's say that together. Your purpose for me. One more time. Your purpose for me. And that's a powerful position. It's powerful because you're humbling yourself and saying, whatever you want to do, that's what I want. That, that's, that's good. That is how you want to be in life. God, your purpose is for my life. That's what I want. So David says that, and then he breaks forth straight into not griping and complaining to God, but because his heart is in the right spot, his mind is in the right spot, he's got problems all around him, he doesn't gripe and complain. Watch this, verse 3, he starts going into praise. He says, he will sin from heaven and save me, but he will put to shame him who tramples on me, Selah. That means pause, hold up. Hang out there for a moment. Let me just go back to that phrase. He breaks out into praise, and he's basically saying, God's going to save me. Uh, he's confident that God wants to preserve and protect his life because God had given him a promise that he would be anointed as king, and he was by this prophet Samuel, and then he's going to do some great work, and he's not yet king. King Saul is king, and he's on the run, David, for his life. But he says, anyway, God's going to save me. This is good. God, I don't know how you're going to work it out, but you're going you're gonna to be a faithful to your promises. You're going to save me. Here's my question for you. Think about the last 15 years of your life. God has preserved your life. You probably know in the last 15 years, people that have passed away. They got into a car accident. The cancer got them. Something happened. They're gone. You look at the pictures, you wish they were here. But God has chosen to preserve your life. Here's my question for you. Why should he preserve your life another 15 years? Why should he save you, preserve you, protect you for another 15 years? And maybe more, right? Hopefully a lot more. Here's what I would say at least get into a position with God to say these kinds of phrases to God. God's your purpose for my life, not mine. Let me tell you something. If I was God, which I'm not, just a little peasant pastor in the, in the eyes of almighty King Jesus, but if I was God, I would say, I need people that will trust me, that will do what I want them to do, that will try to find their purpose in me and trust me with their life. And those are the people that I want to use and protect and preserve. So I just ask you that, to think about that about as it comes to purpose. Verse 4, uh, we see David, and he's real and raw, and he says this, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down in fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth and spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. In other words, he's in all sorts of relational, dysfunctional accusations against him. 
Uh, there's gossip and slander against him. Uh, and then he's going to identify that problem. And then he breaks out in praise. Verse 5, he says, be exalted. That's crazy. All that's going on. And he says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Verse 6, he goes back to the problems. He says, they have set a net for my steps. My soul has bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. And then he goes on to say, um, verse 7, he breaks into praise. He says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. In other words, he's staying the course. He can persevere. Why can't he do that? Because he's got a sense of purpose. Verse 8, he goes on to praise and he says, Awake my glory, awake, O harp, lyre, I awake the dawn. He's getting up early. He's giving praise to God. Verse 9, he says, I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, among all of the, the peoples. That's every ethnic group is what he's saying. He's fulfilling the divine purpose for believers is to be a light among all nations. This is consistent in the nation of Israel for all believers. It's consistent in the New Testament for uh, New Testament believers. It's consistent for us. Uh, peoples, that word right there, it's the same kind of phrase that uh, Jesus used when he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The word nations is te-ethne, and it means the ethnic groups. In other words, what he, David is saying is, I'll give Thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. In his own Hebrew language, he's saying every nation deserves your glory. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about God's glory among all nations. He's thinking about perhaps his future reign as king. He's perhaps thinking about the magnitude and the ministry that he has in writing down divinely inspired scripture. And he says, I will sing the praises to you among the nations. In other words, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand out. I'm going to do whatever it takes to give you praise despite these problems. Verse 10. He says, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. Here's the, here's the amazing thing about Psalms 57 to me. Uh, nowhere does David really complain, gripe. He doesn't say, oh God, where are you? How could you do this to me? He, even though he's innocent, uh, even though he's on the run and being hunted like a little animal or chased down like a criminal, he's not griping, complaining to God. You know what he's doing? He's trusting God. He's saying, you got a purpose for my life. I'm going to give you praise in the midst of this trial. Um, that's what's remarkable to me. Verse 2, he said... I know that God will fulfill his purpose for me. Uh, here, here's the important thing. You see, because when David was clear about his purpose, it was easier for him to be in peace. The idea there in the scripture, if you look in other translation, is David actually like took a nap up there in this cave, hiding out. Like, he's okay. Uh, he's not freaking out, stressing out. He knows he's got trouble. But he's at peace about his problems. And here's the point. When you are fulfilling God's purpose for your life, you can experience peace in the midst of any problem that you face. Any setback becomes a setup for trusting and seeing what God's going to do next. David was able to sing praise in the cave. I, I don't know what your cave is. I don't know if you, what problems you got at work or problems you got perhaps at home or with other family and friends. But sometimes it can feel like you're hiding out in a cave. But here's the reality. God wants you to get you out of that cave. You got some work to do. And what can get you through those cave 
experiences is understanding your purpose. And so here's what I want to do in our remaining time. I want to walk through just three uh, things that you can learn about your purpose. Number one is that God's purpose for your life is that you just worship him. And worship means you're all in, that Jesus is number one in your life. Not your family, not your work, not yourself. Jesus is number one in your life. And many of you say, well, I do that. Well, that's good. But don't we, aren't we tempted at times to kind of give perhaps an inordinate amount of attention to somebody or something else other than God? And the Bible calls that uh, verging on idolatry. It's where you put someone or something above or beyond where it needs to be. Let me give you an example. Uh, I recently heard a story about a, a museum in China, and there was a, a, a sign that said, uh, over here to see the American God. And all these Americans, of course, were very in, in, interested in this, so they make their way over to this exhibit, and they look in the exhibit. They don't see any kind of American God, and they look a little closer, and they see in a little case a $1 bill. And I thought about that. I thought, that's interesting. Is that how other nations see our nation? That our God is money. And Jesus said, you cannot, you cannot have two masters. You got to choose who you're going to serve. Some of you say, well, I don't worship money. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you sacrificed perhaps way too much on the altar of success? Have you given up relationships with people that you know you shouldn't have given up? Have you betrayed, backstabbed, or done something that you know is ungodly, not right, not good for success? That's when you start to wonder, man, maybe this is becoming way too much for me. Um, we can easily idolize something like that, like money, power, and success, a little too much. And God says, no, 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 your purpose for me is to worship me. In other words, you were made for him. Like nothing's going to get totally right in your life until he is constantly and continually number one. I mean, and every time we screw up, we come back to Jesus and say, forgive me, help me, heal me. I want to make this right. But worship is the number one uh, purpose for your life that you look to him, love him, go to him. Let me give you another example. You've heard it said before with people that maybe idolize relationships way too much. They say things like this, that person over there, uh, they worship the ground that he or she walks on. Have you heard that said before? That person worships the ground that that man or woman walks on. What's wrong with that? There's a lot that's wrong with that. First of all, uh, the Bible says in Exodus, and part of the Ten Commandments, God's top ten list is, you shall have no other God, you don't worship anybody else, you worship me, is what the Lord says. You worship me, the Lord, that's it. And so what can happen with the human heart, it can so easily say, well, I want to, I really like that and I really want that success and the, the lust of uh, influence and power or relationship or importance becomes so powerful that it overwhelms, it overrides everything else for your affections, your desire, your intensity, your service for God. And so all of us could be guilty perhaps of idolizing at some point or time, someone, or something a little too much. And so, number one, I got to start with this idea that our purpose is, is to worship God. 
How do you know if you're worshiping uh, maybe someone or something a little bit more back to the relationship piece? If you feel like this person's in your life and if there's a breakup, you just couldn't do life anymore. You, you can't imagine living any longer without that person. Uh, you might be idolizing that person way too much. Um, you got to get to a place in life where you say, God, your purpose for my life, whatever you want to do. And here's where the atheists are produced. The atheists say, no, that person to me was way too important. I loved that person. You took that person. I curse you. There is no God. Atheists are usually the people that I would say worship people. And then they lose a person and therefore God does not exist. But when you come to a place and say, your purpose, God, my life, I worship you no matter what. Now you're in a place to say, you're the maker, you're the molder, you're the author, you're the perfecter, not me. You do as you please. That's a different place. Number one, you got to worship him. Uh, Moving on, number two, I would say this, is that God's purpose for your life is that you grow in his family. That you realize that God is your heavenly father, uh, that together we make up a a spiritual family, and the spiritual family uh, in today's time really isn't that important. And I would say there's perhaps a little bit of idolatry in the American church when it comes to family. You say to me, what did you just say? Yeah, let me explain it. Um, In the early church, uh, when the church was uh, first birthed after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended down. God's spirit and presence was just moving and grooving. The first church was established, Jerusalem, and then they started spreading all around. The Bible tells us that these new believers were like a new family. And that uh, the reality was the Apostle Paul clarified for the church in Ephesus, and he said, it's like this. You've been adopted in to a family, and God is your father, and Jesus Christ paid the price for your adoption, and now you're just not friends or strangers, you're brothers and sisters. And so therefore, the church is so powerful that it can overcome no amount of persecution by Nero and the uh, continuing on emperors of Rome. It can be survived. It can strive. And some uh, church historians would say it was the blood of the martyrs that continued the perpetuation and the strength of the church. Why? Because just like you and me, right? If somebody messes with your family, you say, that's my family. You don't mess with them. But here's what we do in American church. What we do oftentimes is say, my brother, my sister, my mother, my kids are far more important perhaps than the church family. Here's what I would say. Jesus stressed, listen, the spiritual family in in an instant, a very clear case study about the spiritual family more important than his biological family. Do you remember the incident when Jesus is doing ministry and somebody comes up to him and he, he's teaching and preaching and kind of mom, Mother Mary, uh, is kind of requesting Jesus' time, kind of trying to interrupt. And Jesus' brothers are there with him. And then somebody comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, like, hey, uh, your mom and your brothers need you right now. And Jesus turns around and says, let me tell you something. You see all these people? Anybody who does the will of my father, that's my mother, that's my brother. He reshifted the priorities. My point in saying this is that part of God's purpose for your life is that you're deeply involved in the local church family. 
you're, you're, you're a part of what God wants to do, His purpose and His plans. And I don't know, last night, if you saw that big monsoon, I'll call it a nonsoon again, because it sprinkled spit on us and then blew up a big dust storm. But what I saw in all that, as a pastor, the founding pastor at North Valley was incredible opportunity. You say, why? Well, let me tell you why. Around here, our area, there was more dust and debris than I've ever seen. Why is that? That's because there is thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people plants. They're clearing out entire lots. Water trucks didn't water them down good enough. When a huge storm came, what you saw is all the dust and the debris from the future development of massive neighborhoods, massive companies that we've never seen before in ever the history of North Phoenix ever before. And the next 10 years are crucially important for the church to grasp that there is a massive opportunity. People are alienated and need to be adopted into God's family. And it's you and me that have that responsibility. And if so, what happens as a church right now is if we forget our purpose, we don't wake up as a Christian and go, my purpose is to worship Jesus. And that's that's where there's life. My purpose is that I'm part of a church family that reaches out, shares, and shows the love of Jesus Christ. Then what's going to happen with all these other people that are coming from other places, they're going to not be a part. The number one reason why people come to church is because somebody invited them. I'd say number two for our area is somebody Google searched and they found us. Number three is you saw the sign on the highway. And uh, so here's what I'm saying is we have an incredible purpose at this church. Uh, I'm calling the first 10 years of the church. We were in an elder meeting this weekend. We spent the whole weekend together planning and praying and prepping for what's next. And I'll tell you, we're in a season of, of uh, transition as a church. Uh, we can't rely on the past victories and successes of the past to propel us to the future. We've got some great momentum. Some good things are happening. It's summertime. But these next 10 years are so crucial. I really uh, believe that if we don't get this right, we're going to miss the wave of thousands and thousands of people that need you to simply uh, be a part of a church that you're not just an attender, you're a member of the family, you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ in the boardroom, in the classroom, in the living room, to the schoolroom. You are being a representative of Jesus and his church. And it's up to you. I don't know. I could try to get more clever in my preaching and teaching and draw more people in. But how about we do this? How about we activate the hearts and the hands of the congregation to share and show the love of Christ and say, this is my church. You got to see what God's doing over there. I'd probably help your marriage a lot, probably help your business a lot, God's ways are always better than our ways, man. Come on. You're part of a family, and it's not just a family. It's a holy huddle. It's a family partnership, and we got a business. And our business is to make known the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I want to challenge you. Realize you need to be a part. Join into a community group. We call that's where you grow and strengthen in your community. You get your little tribe. If you don't have a tribe, get into a tribe. Uh, that, the Bible calls that fellowship. You should do that. God made you for that. 
And we need right now at this church, we need spiritual leaders to take us from what I'm calling the first 10 years to the second 10. The first 10 years is called the startup phase. And by the way, we're in year nine of that from the day I moved to Phoenix, uh, walked around an apartment community, started inviting people to my living room, didn't know a single person in the entire city of Phoenix. And uh, we're going to be nine years this September. And at the end of that 10-year, we're going to have a big 10-year celebration right here. We're going to get Pastor Jonathan back. So mark me. All of you message him and say you're coming back for that. And uh, then what we're going to do is we're going to be entering into a massive season of what I'm calling from moving from the startup phase, first 10, to the second 10, I'm going to call the build-up phase. And the build-up phase is when all the ministries, all the mission efforts are being deeply poured into and led by you, the congregation. So we got to do that. And it's going to take time. I'm telling you more than a year ahead of time what we're about to do. But you can't do it if you're not connected to the family. And we do have a business. Our business is to make known Jesus to our friends and family, to the coworkers, to the people moving in. So I want to challenge you to do that. Some of you say, man, I don't know. Uh, teamwork, I don't know how important it really is. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Uh, how many of you are familiar with uh, Walt Disney? Just anything about his life? Raise your hand. What I find really interesting about Walt, and I study all sorts of case studies of business leaders and people, creators, and all that stuff all the time, love it. What I find very interesting about Walt is that we all know Walt's big break was creating who? Mickey Mouse. You got it. Right. You're wrong because Walt didn't create Mickey. Uh, His best friend created Mickey and Walt got the credit. And without uh, the guy's name is, I'm going to try to find it here. The guy's name was uh, Ub Iwerks. He created Mickey Mouse. Walt saw it and said, that's good. Walt didn't think it up. Walt didn't draw it up. Ub did. Who got the credit? Walt. What did he move on the momentum? Disney. Um, Walt, uh, Walt was inspired, pushed, and pressed by Ub. Without Ub, there would be no Walt. So what I'm saying to you is the glory and the story of the church is a team sport. It's always been a team sport. And you go, well, where do you find your foundation in that besides Walt Disney? I'll say, how about this? Let's look at the life of Jesus. I'm just going to read to you some statements about how much he depended on teamwork within the Trinity. Consider Jesus. He says this, I can do nothing on my own. Jesus said that. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, but it's because I seek not my will, but the will of him who sent me. Or Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Or Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, The son can do nothing by himself unless he sees the father doing it. For whatever the father does, the son also does. And then again, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And as the father commissioned Jesus, Jesus and the father commissioned the Holy Spirit and unleashed the Holy Spirit in you. 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 That Holy Spirit has a purpose and a plan. That Holy Spirit that is in your life is your conscience. It's your guide. It's not Jiminy Cricket up there, your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit. 
And that Holy Spirit is tell, telling you, you've got a purpose in life. Don't give up. You've got a, God's got a plan for your life. And you may not like your job. You may not like the relational situation you're in. But he has a plan and a purpose for your life. That you don't look like somebody else. You look like you. You do you. You be you. But you're on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, leading you to be an ambassador, a representative to Him all around. And so, last point is this, is that God's purpose for your life is that you uh, show and share the love of Jesus Christ to the people around you. This is opening your mouth. This is actually... uh, Uh, showing people like, hey, this is what it means to look like a Christian. I'm going to live like a Christian at work. I'm going to live like a Christian in my community. And you are, in a sense, the best version of Jesus that people got. So you show them what it means to be a Christian. You be you. You don't try to be somebody else. Whatever you do, just do it all for the glory of God. Sound familiar? So that's what you do. And then you share with your mouth about God's love for people about God's good purposes, his plan, how he uses the church, where you belong, how, what you believe, you open your mouth, and that's the purpose that God has for your life. Let me tell you a story, and I'm going to invite up a friend of mine. Um, Brian Carr did a great job preaching last weekend, didn't he? Um, yeah, you celebrate that. Uh, Brian Carr came to one of our Easter planning meetings, and he said, hey, I'm so excited. I said, why? He goes, my neighbor's coming to church. I said, that's cool. Did you invite her? And he goes, uh, I'd love to take the credit, but I didn't. I said, oh, that's cool. How'd that happen? Well, this person doesn't go to church very much at all. Maybe, I don't even think they're a Christian at all, her and her family. But they told me, I walked out one day and they said, hey, you guys doing Easter services? I want to be there. Brian said, that's awesome. I'm so glad. Yeah, join us for the Easter service. We'll be there. I said, Brian, you know how that person got there, right? He said, no. And I said, you. You did sharing and showing the love of Christ for 12 months straight. You never even invited the person. You just told them who you are, what you're doing, what God's doing in your life. And that's what I call, ladies and gentlemen, what I call irresistible influence. See, when you are spending time with God and God's love, his goodness, his kindness, his uh, righteousness, his justice, all of the good stuff flows out of you. And people want to come to that. God's grace, God's mercy, God's greatness. And so she just came. And uh, it's been really neat to see that's the story of how the church works. Be you, but share and show the love of Jesus Christ to people around you. I want to invite up Pastor Brian. Give him a big warm welcome again to the stage here today. B-Town, so we're wearing the same shirt. I mean, man, you know, hey, there you go. Um, So... This is the hard part. Brian is about to share with you what I would call a bittersweet moment for North Valley. And it's bitter, but it's also incredibly sweet. And I think it does illustrate sharing and showing the love of Christ and our great commitment to see that happen. So go for it. I asked him to write a letter. Okay, here we go. Uh, Dear North Valley, in light of Pastor Ryan's message, uh, I wanted to share a special testimony about the importance of being obedient and following God where he leads in your life. As a big surprise uh, to me and my family, God has called us to return to my hometown in Morley, Michigan, and pastor the church that I grew up in. Uh, This means less income, uh, more responsibility, you know, as I have to work as well as pastor at Green Country Church. But as I shared here last week, 
My heart has always been to be used by God in whatever way he sees, feet, sees fit. Um, a few weeks ago, I received a call about interviewing for the pastor position at the church I attended from the day I was born till I turned 18 and left for college. Um, my first response was to say thanks, but no thanks. And I share how much I love uh, the role that I have here at North Valley. Um, but I told them, of course, I would pray about it. Uh, how many of us have said that before, not knowing what was going to happen next? Um, well, the next day I rolled around, and I felt God just trying to talk to me about Green Country Church. So I decided to take some time and pray and talk to him about the opportunity. Uh, God began just reminding me of the times I spent in prayer meetings and revival meetings, VBS outreaches, potluck dinners, and serving as a Sunday school teacher. And he just began to really burden my heart for the community that I grew up in. Old school friends who still live in the community apart from God, uh, who came, came to my mind and God broke my heart for that community. As Pastor Ryan shared, God's purpose is that we show and share his love to others. Uh, so to make a long story short, um, I thought I would leave it up to God. So I called some close friends and I decided to interview and preach while I was in Michigan on vacation and just leave it up to him. Well, as he often does through those things, he confirmed that this was the direction he was leading our family. Uh, this meant the next step was to talk to Pastor Ryan. Uh, I was not looking forward to that conversation, but I was very grateful for his understanding. Even though he was noticeably bummed, um, he, was, he stated how proud he was and his desire to help in any way that he can. This truly is a special place. I do stand here today struggling with both excitement and sorrow, um, but I want to say thank you all dearly for the moments we've had. Um, that we shared, and ask you, please pray for me and my family as we do make this next leap of faith. Um, I'm going to point out a couple of things that I'm really proud of. Here's what I'm really proud of. He is getting a major promotion in the kingdom of God. He is getting a major demotion in the kingdom of this world. Uh, He's taking a job as a senior pastor of a small country church, very small church that barely survived COVID, and he will have to get a full-time job to get a part-time salary at this church, but probably serve in a full-time capacity. Pray for him. That's a godly man. Uh, He's going into the enemy territory. He's going to do incredible work, he and his wife, and uh, most people would never touch this in a million years. I promise you, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) I couldn't. I couldn't do what he's about to do. Um, Pray for him because he told me, Ryan, it's going to be hard. I know I'll make less money. It'll be working full time somewhere else. But I believe God has called me here. You don't argue with that. Um, What I would say is we should be proud as a church of sending out a great leader here. He was attending the church just like you. He and his wife came, and they were a young family. They got involved, and then he started volunteering. And then he started volunteering, and Jonathan Seaborn said to me, this guy is really good. You should hire him. I said, I have no, I, okay, we'll look at it. We hired him. We gave him a license to minister in a part-time position. Then we initially, uh, eventually ordained him, and he served in a full-time capacity. So I'm incredibly proud. Can we celebrate him one more time? So... Anyway, so here's what I want to say. Uh, We should be proud. It is bitter. It is sweet. Um, 
His last Sunday will be August 22nd. He and his wife will be here. We're going to throw a party for them uh, right here because it'll be like an oven outside. So we'll stay right here. And August 22nd, after the third service. And then what I would say is, I want to challenge you to give generously to the church because we want to continue to empower ministry leaders and specifically him. We're going to work with that church to see whatever we can do to help. We want to be a help because this is a kingdom opportunity. Um, At the same time, I'm asking you to pray for the new leaders stepping in. We need to hire at least two individuals in a part-time coordinator position, one for the kids, uh, one for the students, unless there's an incredibly gifted, God-ordained individual that could take a full-time position to cover both of those roles, as Pastor Brian did. And so we're already on the hunt. We're distributing all of our our resumes and and what's going on. And I ask for your prayer, support, and help us get this out because we'd really like to launch in the fall with a new team member. And in the meantime, we're going to love this guy. We're going to pray for this guy. We're going to have a party for this guy. And we're going to press on. And here's the good news is that when a person of God leaves or passes on, God's purpose and plan never, it stays the same. It just keeps moving forward. You look at all throughout history, you see good godly men like Moses. When he died, everybody freaked out. And then Joshua rose up. So we're looking for our Joshuas. We're looking for those folks and ask for you to pray and trust that God's got a purpose and a plan. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's thank him one more time. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.